This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. We're going to be today talking again with fellow fanatic Craig Chapman. We're going to be talking about the deer rut coming here in 2021. If you want to go listen to Craig's show, you can go back to, it's back in March 18 of 2020, AHP episode 214. Uh, Go back and listen to that. Uh, It was actually, you know what? It was actually one of the most popular podcasts of 2020. Now, I'm just on my podcast been at right now which hosts my podcast now i just went back and went to all time because we've only been on the pod app or sorry the Podbean service probably for about a year and a half now maybe a little bit less and uh yep craig still is the number one podcast released on march 18 2020 with forty-four thousand downloads can you believe it uh followed by the port arthur paradox not far behind it only about 300 behind so uh craig is still the top number one uh, downloaded podcast since I've actually been on this platform as well. Uh, what is also pretty popular as well is the Public Land Hunting Tips and Tricks for Success. That's third. And I only released that on December 11, 2020. We've got Tony Gillahan there as well, uh, Long Range Hunter Mark Ripley, some straight shooting podcasts. We've also got Shooting Stuff Australia. We've got uh, uh, the New South Wales versus Gel Blaster retailer Armored Heaven and Steve from a bold action production rounding out the top 10 there so we're going to have a lot of talk about the deer rut coming up in 2021 uh, what we can expect, especially what happened during COVID. You know, are we going to see more deer numbers? Are we going to see more deer moving around? Are they going to be pressured? And we're also going to talk about whether the fire, especially on the southern eastern seaboard of New South Wales and northeastern Victoria, most of us know there was absolutely horrific fires in, what was it, late 19, 2020. And we're going to find out whether that's going to affect deer numbers as well because, you know, are deer going to go back into the same areas uh, if their habitats have been destroyed? Is that going to affect them from moving back in? Are they going to follow food? What's going to be the situation in those particular areas? And I know I've been watching a few videos on YouTube and it seems to be some deer are really starting to move back into some of those areas. And uh, some of the videos on YouTube have seen that and it's kind of good for hunters, I guess, in a way because you know, you're not seeing a lot of foliage on the trees. You can see through the trees. You can see a long way through the burnt foliage. It is starting to come back a little bit, but obviously that's going to take years for those areas to recover. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a great chat today i'm looking forward to i love my deer hunting i know craig loves his deer hunting as well so i think it's going to be an absolutely cracking podcast again guys just letting you know on this podcast uh, we have a sponsor camo warehouse which we do play ads for but i do always forget to mention to jump on their website camowarehouse.com.au and when you're signing in, uh, you log in, obviously create an account. Make sure you use that code AHP10 because you're going to be able to save 10% uh, on all your purchases. So please use that. Please go. That helps me uh, and it also helps them. Uh, and you actually get 10% off. So if you're planning on buying something, some binos or some clothes or some shoes or some stocks, whatever it may be, 
Just jump on there, have a look at what they've got on the website and use that code AHP10 at camowarehouse.com.au because, again, like I said, it helps me and you guys are going to get 10% off as well for the trouble. Uh, as always, you can go to the website australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. You can email me at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on all the services now. I just recently put the show on Spotify. It's also on CastBox, on the Podbean app, uh, of course, on the website, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Oh, man, there's so many to even list. All you got to do is type in Australian Hunting Podcast and you'll be able to find it somewhere on the internet. Of course, you want to leave a voicemail, go to that website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. In the right-hand side bar there, you'll send send voicemail. You can click on that. It's near the slider bar on the right-hand side and send us a 90-second message, whether it's something for our coming up straight shooting podcast or whether it's something we can play on the show. Uh, I'll certainly do that. We love getting the voicemails or emails uh, here to HP. So thank you very much for that. Of course, we just ran the competition. Uh, for our Patreon supporters, probably about a month ago when this podcast goes live, uh, we gave away an ultrasonic cleaner, we gave away some Hornady scales, uh, an ammo box, and also a gun bag as well. So congratulations to all the people on Patreon that won those items. I uh, hope you enjoy it, and they should be, by the time of this podcast, have already received those items. If you want to support the show financially, throw a few bucks my way. It's always appreciated. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash... AHP, if you want to support the show, couldn't do it without you guys. So thank you very, very much. I'm really looking forward to this show with Craig. I love talking about deer hunting. I know he really loves his deer hunting too. I know he loves the rut. He gets very passionate about the rut, and most of us do. We start, you know, giggling, you know, like little uh, virgin boys uh, and girls that love their their hunting. And uh, we just love this time of the year, that cold snap, you know, hearing deer out in the bush and uh, hopefully getting out there to get some meat and or a trophy. So without further ado, let's crack on with a fellow fanatic, Craig Chapman. Craig, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me. Great to have you here. We're going to be talking about the deer rut. We had you back on episode, I'm just scrolling down here, episode 214, sorry, it's March 18, 2020. So, and that actually rated really, really well. You're actually on top for the most downloaded podcasts in the last 12 months. I think they want to listen to you more than they want to listen to me. So you maybe you should take over the show. <laughs> I don't know about that, mate. You do a pretty good job yourself. Uh, but uh, thanks for having me back on. No worries. I guess yeah, what's been happening, it's been a, a very interesting couple of years, that's for sure. Um, you know, obviously, with COVID, there's a, you know, people weren't able to get out hunting. I mean, what have you been up to? You've been on any hunts, any new guns? Yeah, just give us a bit of a roundup since we last spoke. What you've been up to? Well, mate, um, for me and probably a lot of your listeners, I mean, 2020 was just a bloody, sorry to use the word, clusterfuck, mate. It was just <laughs> awful. Um, my mate, my hunting partner and I, as you know, I live for the, the fallow rut. That That's my week of the year. That's what I just live for. I crave that time. And, you know, I'd got all the time off work. All the planets were aligning. We'd done all the, you know, we knew where the bucks were going to be pretty much. And then within, well, coming up to the, to the rut, and, you know, we're, we're going to be allowed to go. And then they brought in some restrictions, more restrictions. And then the day before we're about to leave, lockdown, mate. And I was absolutely devastated. I know <laughs> there's a lot of per people worse off than me. And I, I really, you know, I count my blessings that I'm alive and I'm, you know, touch wood, I've got my health. But, um, you know, for, for, for us fallow hunters, that, that was just um, a, a pretty – pretty ordinary time um but you know 
onwards and upwards, and I'm I'm looking forward to to this rut. But in in the meantime, mate, I've I've done a bit of hunting out west over summer, and um, I just had a ball out there. Eh? And there's there's a lot of pigs out there. Um, there's a lot of big pigs out there because of the the um, after the drought they've had a, had some a really good season. I'm talking about Western New South Wales here, and it probably that probably extends right up through through uh, you know southern Queensland, right down to you know Victoria and and, and South Australia. Um, but the the crops and the harvest, so some in some places they're they're, they're record harvests and. That's just caused an explosion in the number of pigs out out west. So a mate and I we went out uh, went out did a couple of trips. We did one out sort of Hungerford Way, and then get another trip out to the property I regularly go out to out Ningan Way. And what we did was we went over sort of just after Christmas and New Year, and timed our trip with the full moon out there. And what what we did was uh, we hunted the 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 stubble, which is for people that don't know what stubble is, I actually found someone the other day that didn't know what stubble was. It's just the the harvested crop when they when they chop off the the, the heads of the wheat or the or the uh, or the oats or whatever crop it is, it leaves this stuff called stubble. And pigs they love the stubble because there's all that spilt grain on the ground, and they just they just go nuts for it. And the reason we timed it with the full moon. Is because when with with the colour of the stubble, it's kind of this beautiful kind of golden colour, and and with the full moon, you can actually see the dark shapes of, of pigs that just stand out like the proverbial dog's balls against this golden colour in the full moon, um, and and you can literally hunt without without a light in that type of scenario, and and mate, we shot some really good good sized boars out there. It was we just had a ball. Yeah, it sounds like you had a good time. I saw some of the uh, photos on Instagram, and geez, you got some bloody good pigs out there. What'd you What'd you end up shooting them with? Your deer gun, or what'd you What'd you use to shoot them out there? Yeah, just just my deer gun, my my two seventy uh, ticker T three um, super light, and we used uh, shooting sticks and um, had a you know a, a torch torches mounted to the scope just for that final. You know, you you you'd sneak up to within sort of forty yards of them, and then then hit them with the with the torchlight, and then bang, yeah, just mm. targeting those bigger ones that are the usually the last ones to come out, sort of uh, right on right on sunset. What were they like in the torchlight? Like when you sort of get pretty close, I mean, you be pretty quick to sort of shoot. And once the light goes on, but acquisition of target, were they sort of spooked by the light or not really? Like, hey, what's going on here? What were they like? Yeah. It's funny at my mate's property they they were spooked immediately. Like you, you literally had less than less than a second to pull the trigger. Um, but on um, the property that I hunted out in Ingham Way, mate, it didn't seem to bother them. You, you you could take your time. Wow. Certainly, yeah. I reckon that was a lot of fun. That's one thing I'm yet to get. A lot of people talk to me and say, "What's your? What do you want to hunt?" I said, "I want to hunt pigs." But I go to the forests and and my mates see pig. Oh, I saw a mob of pigs, but you know we we're hunting deer. We couldn't get a shot off. I'm like, I never. I think I've only ever seen one. It was on a main road driving in, and it quickly ducked in. Might have been a wombat on second thoughts, but I don't think so. There's about four or five of them together, so I think they were pigs. And I just never see them in the bush. I just they're such an a, a, an elusive animal, especially sort of in that state forest area. But I mean 
looks like you were just smashing them coming into the stub away. <laughs> it's like well, it's like yeah, candy to them. You make a good point because those those mountain boars are really like where, where you're talking about. They can be really elusive and it can be really kind of um, a hit and miss kind of scenario when you when you're trying to target them. And um, my mate, a few years ago, we were we were hunting the fallow rut. You know, I can't remember if I told you this story. Let me know if I have, but. We we're hunting the fallow rut, and we're in the we're in the bush, and we spooked a couple of does, and they're just in the in the scrub because we're on our way to a to a well known spot where we're going to sit and wait. Right, we spooked the, spooked these two does. Next minute, the, this whopping thumper of a boar, like it, it was the biggest. It's still to this day the biggest boar I've ever seen. It just came out of nowhere, and. What had happened was that the noise of the doe spooking, it obviously spooked it. And I got a glimpse of this thing. It 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 was about 50 yards away, running side onto us. Next minute, it decides to do a 90-degree turn and was barreling straight towards us. Now, why it decided to do that, I have no idea. I honestly believe it didn't know we were there. It was just, it was just going, I'm getting out of here. I've been frightened. So this thing's barreling towards, mind you, this is happening happening in a matter of seconds, and I'm telling over a matter of minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget it. My mate, because we were out targeting, you know, big bucks and not pigs, my mate goes, do you mind if I shoot it? I said, shoot it? Shoot the fucking thing because he was charging straight towards us. <laughs> he literally would have bowled us over, and I'm, I kid you not, it, this thing was a freaking monster. If you want to have a look at it, get onto my um, – or better, better still, get onto my mate's buddy um, Instagram page. It's at Grizzly Hunting, and have a look at this thing. It is it is a monster. Was this How long ago um, was this one? Was this recently, or how long ago was that no, one? This is about, I think this is back in 2018-ish. I could be wrong about that, but, but it, it was literally only metres away from us when he put a bullet between its eyes, and it just – dropped clean in front of us and mate the adrenaline that i felt at that time was just holy shit i'm <laughs> glad we shot that thing mate because it, <laughs> it would have had us yeah but uh you know I, i'm pretty convinced he wasn't sort of attacking us he was just trying to get the hell out of get it get the hell out of there because he'd, he'd been spooked yeah, yeah so that's exciting stuff Crazy when you get that. I mean, I still get it. Even when I see deer, I, I don't know if you still do. Maybe it's a good question as well. You know, when these things happen, your heart just starts racing. Like when I see deer, I just all of a sudden get, I get real weird. Like my heart starts racing. I start getting choked up and I'm like, oh, my heart starts racing. And I, I don't know what to do. Like I know what to do, but it's hard, very hard to control that sometimes. I think, I think probably all of us get it to various degrees. And, and I think as I, as I get, I'm not being um, condescending, but as I get older, I I, th- I think I've probably I, I probably control it a little bit better in myself than when I did when I was sort of, sort of 19. Because I remember when I I had my first shot at a you know fellow buck around that age, and and I can remember I was literally shaking. But mate, I still get it. I shot a I shot a red deer um, two years ago, and you know, this thing came out of nowhere and and it was the most, it was the unluckiest red deer you've ever seen in your life. But, hey, we're in the right spot, the right right time. Again, this thing was 
trotting, sort of angling towards us, um, just all rutted up and probably looking for, you know, female company, as they say. And, um, yeah, and, and then sort of he, he stopped about 120 metres away and we were right out in the open. I, I had no rest, no nothing, and, and I, mate, I was literally shaking because this thing, you know, like all I could see was antlers and and holy shit, you know, he's a good stag, <laughs> this one. And, mate, I was literally shaking and off the off the shoulder I managed to drop him. Um, but, you know, I've got to say that there was probably an element of luck in that shot because I don't, I don't know how I got him because I, I was just, I was shaking like a leaf. So yeah, thank you. Question. I sometimes I, I think yeah, it's a, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm glad I get it because I know you feel alive, you feel that adrenaline hit, and there's sort of nothing like it really, is there? I mean, I, yeah. I guess a lot of it's nerves, but you know, I, I like the feelings. I thought if I don't feel like that, then I, I probably should quit hunting because you know I'm, I'm not getting the not that I'm doing it for a thrill, but it's just that feeling you're out there, that primal feeling you're out there, you, you're nervous, something pops out, and often it happens if I'm sitting and waiting. I look to my side or to my left or looking at my phone for a second. Then I look up and bang, there's a deer. Then I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> it's it's really straight into action. That. That's, that's a really good point. Like if, if you don't get that kind of, um, you know, adrenaline pump, then you, you maybe not enjoying your hunting as much as you should, you know, like, and I think that you're right. That's that I've never kind of thought of it like that. Mm. And, Maybe that's probably what what keeps us going out hunting all the time is that kind of oh wow look at that look at that stag or look at that buck isn't he a beauty or look at that look at that boar isn't he a friggin' monster mm. you know? and even if you like you probably you, know, you hunt we'll talk about hunting a lot of uh, private land but especially I mean I guess it's somewhat different I mean if you're hunting open area and you see a deer at you know four five hundred for an example I guess it might give you time to do the stalk in get a bit closer. Uh, you know, I guess you can probably control that emotion a bit more. But, you know, some, again, as we discussed before the show, I do a fair bit of hunting, you know, in state forests, some private land as well. And, you know, sometimes you don't get that opportunity to see that deer. You come up over a ridge or something or through some through some pine or through some natural, then bang, all of a sudden the bastard's right in front of you. And you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. That's more of the, the, the I guess, the, the shock and surprise of not knowing. And just, sometimes you never know what's around the corner. Well, yeah, but but you know what? Um, hunting on on private land and where you can see long distances, like I'll give you an example. I, I think it can work against you as well in terms of that build-up of adrenaline because you've gone, like for example, a few years ago, my mate and I were up on top of this mountain and we spotted this really thumping buck about two and a half k's away with the binocs, and he was out just on the forest fringe, just croaking his head off. You could see. You know, obviously we couldn't hear him from that distance, but through the binocs, you could see his head going up and down and the antlers going back and forth. And, mate, I tell you, seeing that through the binocs, I'm like, holy shit, this this thing's bloody a good buck, you know. <laughs> so that, that, you know, we had to then make our way two and a half k's down the mountain and, and hope that, that this buck would, was still there on the fringe and... Sure enough, he was. He, he was just probably 20 feet out from the forest and, and the thing, is, he was just laying down, just um, having a bit of a, oh, you wouldn't say he wasn't asleep, obviously, but he was having a bit of a mid-morning doze after probably 
um, servicing a few few of his female friends, <laughs> um, which were all you know sort of within his vicinity, yeah, and then yeah. have to try and stalk up onto this thing um, on sort of on my knees because he was down in this kind of bit of a depression. Um, again, I I didn't have a I didn't have a rest. It was all off the shoulder. Pulled my first shot. He he got up. He got up from the and, and clean. I clean missed him. He got up, took a few steps, and then I I managed to shoot him with the second shot. So I was I was really lucky that I got a second opportunity at him. But like you say, you know the old adrenaline. And I had, but I had that build up of time, maybe an hour or so of kind of holy shit, holy shit, am I going to get this thing or not? Uh, yeah, it can work, it can work against you. Oh, it is funny. It's funny just to deer. They just, you know, they're great animals, strange animals, awesome animals, all in one. Uh, and sometimes I've seen them right in front of me. I remember there was just a, a quick story. I was down south and I was walking sort of down, I guess you call it an old little dirt road down into, the, I was going to go into the bottom of this ravine. So I just took the dirt track down. And then all of a sudden I looked down and it sort of went down a little bit. And I went, shit, I, th- I thought I saw the ass of a deer. So anyway, I ducked to the left of the tree and I could see it's wagging its tail. And I said, no, nah, definitely a deer. Definitely. It was, I think it was a samba and it was very dark. Could have been a chocolate fellow, but I didn't get a solid look at it. I then you know, pulled my gun off, got it up, and then I, I looked and I thought, where'd it go? And this was maybe 30 metres from me and I could see down this ravine. There was nowhere for it to go. And then I ducked to the right of the tree, got my binaries out again. I'm looking. Mate, never saw that deer that day to this. Didn't run off, would have heard it run off. I don't know where it went or what it did. It was about 30 metres away. And then I could see the legs moving. And as soon as I went to the right of the tree and I moved 10 metres to the left, I thought maybe it's just ducked down or it sat down or something. Mate, don't know where it went. Do not know where it went. And I thought, this is unbelievable. These creatures are amazing, but that would have been my first opportunity to shoot a deer. And (laughs) again, whatever happened, I blew it or uh, I just don't know where it went. The bloody ghosts of the forest, I guess that's why they call them the ghosts of the forest. Yeah, well, yeah, and I I wonder if that sounds like it might have been a samba by the behaviour you're describing. And when I saw it moving, I think it was definitely, when I eventually saw the back of the head, it was definitely a little spiker, definitely, because I could see the you know, little, sort of little spikes on top and then went to the right. I go, it couldn't have gone anywhere. There, was, there wasn't, and the pine was very mature, so it was, uh, it was there wasn't many pines, so the, the bottoms were completely dead up about probably five or six metres. And I'm like, where did this thing go? Like, uh, yeah. And I started walking down into there thinking, is it there? So, is it sitting there somewhere? Mate, couldn't see it that day to this. And, you know, it was so quiet. And then my heart started racing i thought no this is my chance i'm onto it before it's onto me this is fantastic mate never saw it never saw it that day to this and if it ran or it went to moving quickly i would have heard it it was so quiet in that little bottom of that ravine and i had the top angle down on it so it couldn't have gone anywhere i'm like god man this is so frustrating this deer hunting business (laughs) that's for sure and you always remember the ones you you don't get don't you like Uh, yeah yeah um but especially like you know, big big ones as well. Like you just go, you and I might be walking through a part of the property that, like for example, I missed a good buck or a big uh, big boar, and I and I sort of relive it and I go, all right, how how did you fuck that up? I know. <laughs> yeah, but that's I mean that's hunting, right? But that's the beauty of hunting. You kind of you go to the, these little spots that you kind of have in your mind's eye and you, you kind of relive those moments, which is really cool. I know. We're going to get a break in a minute, but I just wanted to, yeah, it's, it's, for me, it's always, I've always found it, 
if I'm walking around, like basically bush walking with a rifle, they call it. I've just never had, I have had some success. Like that would have been success if I actually saw it and shot it and find out where it actually went. But I don't know, I've just been successful sort of sitting and waiting and, and, and soaking up the atmosphere and, you know, watching what comes across my path. Like in the morning, I might find, know my spot that I'm going to go and sit. You know, sometimes it's probably a bit lame, but I might, you know, park the car where, where you know, kilometre, kilometre and a halfway, move my way in and then sit there and, and move along a bit in the morning if I don't see anything. And I've seen, you know, foxes and you see feral cats and I've seen goats and then I've seen deer maybe on the other side of the ridge way too far away to get. And then I'm like, is this going to work? And then all of a sudden a deer pops out. I'm like, oh, sweet, bang, and I, I, you, know, you do the business. But uh, I always find you've got to get the one up on them. If they get the one up on you, it normally, unless they're maybe deer that haven't been shot at and they just get spooked and run 20 metres and start looking back. But most of the ones, I, if they get a look of you or smell of you, they're not turning around. They're, they're hightailing out of there. Oh, that's right. Once, once once they know you're there, once they've smelt you or seen you, forget it. That's, yeah, the game over. You, you, you might as well go somewhere else for the, for the rest of the, for the, for the day anyway and, and look, look, look elsewhere because they're, they're out of there. Yeah, 100%. Mate, we're, we're going to go a bit more in a bit. Just going to get a quick break, guys, and we'll be right back. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers offers flexible, zero-interest payment options including Afterpay and ZipPay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. Mate, just wanted to go back a bit, just in your story about yeah, how many pigs you end up getting when you went on that trip or did you go multiple weekends and if so, how many did you get? Well, uh, on the first trip was just a weekend trip and we got, I think, three boars. Uh, we, you know, we could have obviously we could have shot a lot more pigs, but we were targeting those big, those real big boars. Yeah. Um, we we would have seen well over eighty pigs that weekend, and on the second trip we were there for a week, and I think we shot about a dozen good good sized boars. Again, we saw well over a hundred pigs. Um, could have shot a lot more, but we're just targeting those big boars that tend to come out. Just on uh, just on sunset, or or you know, twenty minutes afterwards, and they come out on the fringe of the the mob. They let the all the young ones and the, the sows come out first, and then they might be, you know, from anywhere from thirty seconds behind to another five or ten minutes behind. But but they're behind, and they they don't get big for for, for no reason. They're, they're cunning buggers. Yeah, I know. That's my dream one day. Get a nice big fat boar. <laughs> Mate, it'll happen. It'll I happen. Just trying to find them. I guess you just got to go out west, start looking, start knocking on some doors, talking to people. I guess that's the main thing, you know, making some relationships with people, especially, yeah. you know, if they've got, if they've got deer and or boars on their property. <laughs> well, that's it. And I find um, going to a country pub can be, can be helpful too and just getting to know the locals. And I know that's a big investment in time and money to, to go out and, and randomly just pick a pub and just have a few beers with 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 the locals, but you know 
uh, if that's what you've got to do, and just call it a, a scouting weekend if you, if you like and put it down to that and you might have success or you might not. But um, if, you, if you're a reasonably sensible person and you can show you're mature and, you know, get, get drunk or into, a, <laughs> into any fights, then you, <laughs> probably, you have a re- reasonable chance of um, getting onto a place. Exactly. Any other any other things you've been up to, mate? Initially, what about any any guns? You bought any scopes? I know last time we spoke, you were trying to convert me to be a uh, Swarovski horse. So, what about any purchases? Any any scopes or guns or any equipment that you you've been buying no, in the right. off season, so to speak? Well, no, no, no purchases. But speaking of Swarovski scopes, uh, about three weeks ago, I think it was, I was down on my hunting block uh, that I usually shoot fallow on with the occasional red. And I was just decided to one afternoon to position myself up on this hill overlooking a clover crop where, you know, occasionally you see the, the odd red just comes out, that pines that is, but now we're leading up into the red raw. I thought, yeah, maybe there might, might be a stag come out and have a feed because they're still trying to, at, at that stage they're still trying to, fill their bellies before the roar and sure enough around about six o'clock at night merged this uh, 11 point red stag and uh he, he come out and had a feed and i was looking with the binocs and look look had a look with my camera and trying to assess this thing before i, I decided to pull the hammer because i already shot a, a, a couple of decent ones on there and i didn't want to you know, shoot something too much smaller than what I've already got. And anyway, as I was assessing him and filming him, I um, a mob of sheep came up to me and then wheeled around and started charging off down the hill towards him, and, and he spooked. And I thought, shit, do I shoot him or, or don't I? And I, I sort of, I sort of thought, well, my thought process was, well, if I if I pull a hammer on him and he's smaller than what I've shot already, then at least I've got the meat, but and I've still got a trophy set of antlers. If I let him go and he's bigger than what I've, I've shot, then I'm going to be very friggin' disappointed and pissed off. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I ranged him with my range finder at uh, 330 metres and dialed up my, my, um, my, my Swarovski ballistic turret scope and put my bipod down and I could see that he, he made he was amped up. He was he was ready to go. And I've actually got the film on my Instagram if you want to check it out. You can see in there he's really, really friggin' twitchy and squeezed off the shot. And because I was laying down you know the, the recoil of the gun, I, I I looked around and I sort of um couldn't see him. And I thought, shit, I was pretty confident with the with the shot. So I I just waited for, you know, probably about five minutes just in case, you know, I'd wounded him or something like that. Or um and I, I sort of quietly made made my way way down there and, and sure enough there there he was. So yeah. Um I was pretty stoked. And he was a he's a nice eleven pointer. And um, you know, he he wasn't bigger than what I've shot. But he was a nice, respectable trophy, and and mate, I've got about thirty odd kilos of of red deer meat in the freezer ready for processing. So, nice, yeah. Mate, I was I was pretty stoked to get him, eh? 
Yeah, I know. It's when you you find you're hunting the properties that you go to. I mean, have you got several properties? I mean, how does one? And this probably goes into our later discussions as well, probably more broadly. But you know, how do you manage a property? I mean, a, a deer moving through these private properties? Are they making these private properties their home? Uh, you know, how do you sort of ma- manage that up to year after year? To, you know, it obviously takes a while for a good sized buck to build up. Year, yeah, year in year out. Good genetics. You know obviously becoming a young buck or spiker to growing older how do you sort of select that i mean how do you manage that in in a way so you've got good amounts to hunt you know for the future look i think i honestly think the short answer is you 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 really to a large degree you, you you can only control what 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 you as a hunter do and um obviously you can't control what any what anyone else does so where i predominantly hunt i know they get they get a lot of doggers coming through and spotlighters and even on the surrounding properties they get a lot of um they get a there's a there's a guy that come comes out there and shoots for for chillers shoots meats for chillers including all the deer all the all the bucks the red stags doesn't matter just he pulls a hammer on and all all. i mean um as much as i kind of despise despise that as a trophy hunter i've got to still respect the fact that he's doing that for a living that's that's his bread and butter so I've got to, I've got to kind of respect that. Look, all all you can do is a, is a hunter, and if you do have access to um, a good good block, is is just control the controllables, which is um, just say to yourself, well, do I need to shoot that that smaller buck? Do I really want it? Is my freezer full? Um, and if you can answer those sort of questions and and say, well, look, uh, if I do leave that, um, it, it potentially I might might be shooting it. Um, in a few years' time, um, so be it. And it's just a decision you've got to make yourself, and 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 hope that that others might might actually do the same thing. And I mean, um, look, I, I'm realistic enough to know that um, on on other, you know, deer don't stay on the same same property if it's if it's only sort of um, you know two thousand acres. Clearly, they they go to other properties in, in the surrounding area, and clearly that they're they're subject to um to, to whoever else wants to pull a pull a hammer on so you know mm. um that's just that's just the way it is i don't know if they've ever done this i mean probably have probably a bit naive here but i'd love if they uh, tracked them or put some maybe um, if, if anyone's out there listening let us know send me a link in the description uh, or in the comments of this show when it comes live on instagram or facebook or send me a voicemail whatever i um, just love to find out whether they've actually tracked deer like you know put like uh, some sort of gps because i'd love to see where and how they travel uh do they frequent the same spots do they go the same way and just what their what their movements are i'm not sure if there's any been any studies done like that if there is let us know i'm not sure if you know any craig as well that's been done but i just love to see on a gps map where they're moving, how they're moving, how far they move in a day. Do they move, you know, through the, through the season? Do they move to different areas throughout the season? Like uh, depending on where the food is, I'd, I'd love to see if there's something like that out there. Yeah, well, the DPI, the New South Wales DPI, do do that, um, but they don't actually make the make it public for obvious reasons. Um, you know, <laughs> put a <laughs> exactly. on, a, on, a, um, on a nice big um, big buck and then publicize it on the net 
Someone goes, I know where that is, I know where that is. But it's it's more just for movement. I mean, surely they could take out maybe the background or blur or do something to just so we can. I'm more just more interested in the movements. How far? How often? Do they move far from the morning to the night? Do they move into certain areas at night during the morning, late afternoon, summer, winter, spring, autumn? Do they move differently then? Do they move less or more in summertime? Do they more, you know, lay up in summer because of the heat? Do they head more towards? water sources i'd love to i'd love to see that i'd love to just to find out more about that well with the fallow they're more driven by the the food that's more so than than the water they don't they don't actually need a lot of water you don't actually see a fallow buck or doe drinking that often unless it's really really hot but because the, they get most of their water out of out of the feed but red deer are different they they will have a have a drink and a wallow and a um and yeah they'll often be be near water sources um but in terms of movement i've noticed that um bucks ballet bucks seem to bugger off um after the rut where they go good question they'll they'll form into bachelor mobs and often if you if you find one of those in the off season then you fit the holy grail mate if you you target target those 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 um bachelor mobs but they they can be very very difficult to find once that rut's finished, mate. They especially for 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 a few weeks after the rut, immediately after the rut, they um they become they can become like ghosts depending on where you know obviously what what area you you're hunting them in. Um, just they just literally just disappear. It's one of those you know great mysteries of of um of of hunting to me is where where the hell do they go? Um, mm-hmm. I've heard guys talking about uh, red deer and migrations of, of red deer and the stags traveling up to 50 k's from from where they 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 hang out for most of the year to 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 join up with with the hinds so they they again um they'll, they've been known to travel long long distances to, wow. to get those hinds the hinds the red hinds i don't know i'm straying a bit off the topic of of um fallow here but the red hinds Tend to stick to a home range all year. They don't. They don't tend to go very far away from that that home range. So if you know where your your red hinds are, the girls are. Well, you know that's where your your your, your red stags are going to be in the raw. Come late, sort of, or early March to through to early April. So yeah, the same with the with the fallow days. You, if you want, when you find the girls, you you you, you stay there because that's where. That's where the boys are. I know it's almost it's almost like I hate to say it like no pun intended a, a target on their back really isn't it? You find the females or you know when they're yep. making a lot of noise it sort of gives away their position, especially if you're in some open areas that you can get into and or drop down into and hopefully hopefully get a shot off. Once once you find those girls, you don't move. Just just stay where you are and just glass glass and more glassing. Do you normally spend before we get into the I guess the crux of the show of uh, what's happening this year with the rut? Um, do you normally how am I trying to say? This? Do you normally just hunt the the rut, or do you go out after the rut? Do you do three or four trips a year? What do you generally do, or is it get more difficult, or you just spend predominantly that that rut and then sort of hang up the gun for the season on the deer, or do you go out more during the year? Oh no, absolutely not. I I I hunt. Um, I'll hunt fallow right through up until about October. When they when they um, drop their their antlers, and then because um, I'm I'm obviously most of the time I'm trying to 
trophy hunt, right? Uh, unless I need, I, unless my freezer's running a bit empty, then I'll, you know, I'll drop a a, a doe for for meat, sort of thing. Um, but I, I'll I'll start I'll start scouting again in January, which I've already been doing. I've been going down to my block scouting, just just looking for where. The does are sort of milling around, checking my trail cameras. I've got trail cameras year round um, and and checking the old scrapes that the the doe, the sorry, the, the bucks have made um, in the previous rut. Because funnily enough, what I've noticed from from looking at my trail cameras over the years, the the scrapes that they make, that the, the bucks make. Now, when I'm talking about a scrape. Um, for for guys that are new to sort of hunting or or fallow deer hunting, a, a a male buck will make what's called a scrape, which is a as the word suggests, that's like a an indentation they make in the ground that they they pour up with their with 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 their with their leg, um, their claws. What do you call them? Um, their feet. Hooves. <laughs> Their hooves. Oh, yeah, hooves. Sorry, couldn't think of a word. <laughs> I thought they don't have toes. <laughs> I'm, having a, I'm having a bit of a brain snap here. <laughs> That's yeah, right. So, they, so, so they'll they'll hoove up the dirt, right? Make a bit of an indentation in the ground. It's quite. You, you, it's once you see one, you you'll know straight away. Uh, and quite often they'll be very near it. Will be where they've. Um, scrape the saplings of trees, made what they call a deer rub, right? And that'll be like a wattle tree or a small um, gum sapling or a, or a small pine. Now, fallow bucks will typically rub trees that are sort of anywhere from pencil thin through to about not much thicker than your arm. They don't tend to – look, there's always exceptions, right? But generally speaking, it's those sort of pencil-thin sized um, saplings or dogwood or um, uh, what's, you know, wattles. I love wattle, those sorts of things. If you see see, uh, a tree that's rubbed thicker than your arm, then it's probably some other species of deer. It's probably going to be something like a red or... Or a samba, or or something like that. That's that's in obviously areas where where they're found, right? Um, so with with those scrapes, they the thing is what they do. See, deer are very scent driven, and what they'll do during leading up to the rut and during the rut, they'll piss in it and they'll ejaculate and be <laughs> absolutely filthy animals, right? And and that's that's basically they're marking their territory, right? They're saying. Don't come here. This is this is mine. But also, it's a signal to does, and the does will come in and they'll sniff that. And and I wonder. I don't know this for a fact, but I wonder if they sniff that, they can tell anything, that any bio signatures of that urine to see whether or not that particular buck is 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 suitable for them as a, as a mating partner. I don't know that, but I do wonder it. But another thing that they'll do is. They've got these things called preorbital glands. So preorbital, orbital being like as in the eyes, the the gland is near the eye, and they'll rub that. It's a it's a it's a hormone, and they'll rub that up and down those 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 saplings or the or the rubs that they've they've rubbed, and they'll mark their scent with that as well. 
and and again does can smell that and other bucks come along and they'll have a sniff and who knows what goes through the head but clearly that that's a real um um traffic light for them they'll stop there they'll sniff it they might even have a sit in it they'll sit down and have a sleep in it i've got photos on my trail cameras numerous times of of does just having a snooze in these scrapes so yeah yeah they're 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 really good things to look for i've have heard hunters say that a buck will visit that scrape once every day to two days so you know, tactic might be that you could just sit off off one of those if you if you wanted to. I really? Do you? Do I they find they will only rub the same one? When will they move on to rub something else, or they won't? Uh, that's an, that's a very well, interesting question, actually. Yeah. Well, they've they've got a, they'll have a territory. They'll have a a territory of uh, it, it's not won't be won't be massive um, because the the. Once, once uh, a dominant buck has, has asserted his his territory, he he's interested in keeping those those does very close. So um, it it won't be an enormous territory, but territories could overlap as well. Um, but it, it it wouldn't be bigger than a few so, um, you know football fields in size. Um, so well worth um, you know if if you're in some sort of public land hunting and there's no um, fringe area to kind of sort of sit off, then that'd be my next go to is, is trying to find a plot, trying to find the scrape, a good, well used scrape, and trying to find a good vantage point where you can sit off it and not set the joint up. Yeah, right. Is that something you've done before? You've found a scrape and, and sat off them before? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I haven't had a great success with that, to be, to be honest. So my my general go to uh, strategy is to is to find the general area where where that boy is and it's been um, you know scraping it up. I put in trail cameras well beforehand, so I've got an idea of you know his size. Um, and if it's a, if it's a real good buck making those scrapes and and rubs, then I'll target the I'll I'll, I'll try to find the the does first. And if it, once I find the does, then you know, as I said earlier, you know the the boys will be very close by. You 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 just you'll have to be patient because he will emerge. Yeah, very interesting creatures. We're just going to go to a break and we'll be right back. Renowned for their strength, reliability, and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. Craig, mate, how's this year looking up? I mean, how's it shaping up? Is it looking better, you know, worse than previous years? Obviously, we'll probably talk about that. You know, there's been a lot of fire-affected areas. I mean, I was down in Malakuta during the previous fires, which is <laughs> quite an interesting time, terrible for a lot of people. Um, you know, what can we expect this year? Is there a lot less pressure on deer? How's it shaping up? What's your general thoughts? Well, generally speaking, I think it's shaping up as one of the best years in living memory because the, it, I'm talking about the east coast of Australia, right, which is where um, most of the fallow in Australia are from, you know, from, from Queensland right down to Tassie. 
um, because the the season has been so good, and also with with the COVID sort of shutdown in a lot of areas, those big bucks during the rut obviously managed to a lot of them would have escaped being shot, especially in the area I hunt. Um, so um, in in my area, I can answer for that. That's in sort of southern New South Wales. I think it's going to be it's it's shaping up to be one of the, one of the best ever. And I've talked to guys in Tassie who've have, have said it's looking really really good down there, really good numbers. South Australia's looking really good as well. They've had a really good season down there. Um, Northern Tablelands um, could be a bit hit and miss. They've had um, big chopper shoots up there. And uh, I really feel for those guys this rut because um, apparently they've been really hammered hard. Mm, I wonder about the feed too. I mean, obviously there's been a lot of lot of rain about too. I mean, this summer's been, I mean, it's been a bit of hot weather a couple of weeks ago, maybe last weekend, a little bit humid. But uh, this is in Sydney, obviously, I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, it's been a very, very weird summer, hasn't it? So there's been a lot of rain over the last six months. Hopefully there's a lot of, a lot of green grass, a lot of feed. The feed is, is is unbelievable in the area I hunt. In fact, I, I've seen grass, knee-high grass growing in the in the eucalypt forest, where, whereas before I've I've never actually seen that before. So the the in terms of the potential for growing a good head in areas where there's good genetics, mate, it is just uh, and I don't want to put the kibosh on things for myself or, or other hunters, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it, everything, everything's looking, looking fantastic. The, so that a, a fallow buck and and a or any any deer for that matter will will start growing their head as soon as as the previous antlers have dropped off. It starts growing straight away. So if they're getting good nutritious feed as soon as they're starting to grow, and I'm talking from sort of November through till sort of um, you know sort of now or just before now, maybe late January, that's their growing season. If, they, if they're filling their guts and getting fat as mud over that time, then it, the potential for, for really good heads is is quite high. So I'm I'm expecting big things this year. I reckon I reckon um, Instagram's just going to be filled with with huge heads this year, mate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a big call, everyone listening to the show. Remember, if you if you don't realise your dreams this year, just come back and blame Craig for <laughs> jinxing it, jinxing it. Yeah, but I look. I think I think it really is. I think you know from what I saw, even out west, with the pig numbers, the the population has exploded in in terms of numbers, but in terms of the size of the pigs out there as well. But it, I think it. The translation for the fallow is the size of their heads, but also to the the fact that there there wasn't much hunting over the their most vulnerable time, which is which is the rut. So that that really places them in in um, in a, in the hunting in a, in a good position. I think this rut. I think it's going to be a really good year. Yeah, I think they'll be fighting and growing those big thick necks on them, and you know like they do throughout the rut, and you know. Uh, big oh, tough sure. neck, you know, that big tough neck that goes down sort of into their chest and just, you know, walking around, you know, with its head up, you know. That was my – I remember uh, would have been very early on in my hunting career. I got back into it probably when I was 26 maybe, something like then. I went out – I think it was when I first hunt and we, or second hunt. And I remember we come up over this hill. And this is when we were very new, so I was walking with a mate. And he, he's in front of me and he stops and then I just – yeah, I about a metre behind, so I kept walking. And then he, he holds his hand out onto – 
sort of onto my arm, you know, halfway between my elbow and my wrist. And he grabs me there. And I'm, uh, he's on my left, I'm on his right, so he's using his right hand. So he grabs me, he just turns his head slow, so slowly, and he starts shaking it, and he goes, it's a deer. <laughs> Funniest thing you've ever seen. I look up, and there must have been a little opening in front of us, like a little clearing, but there was still a bit more trees. This deer, I can only explain it, definitely a fallow deer, nice, sandy, coloured, spotty fallow, standing right in the sun, just looking back at us steam coming out of it it's like nothing you've i still remember it like it give me shivers thinking about it now and we're just staring at this buck in the sun it was it was like jesus had just been born again right and the sun is perfectly <laughs> coming down right onto this deer and he was oh, he was grunting and oh, like making noise like i don't know he was trying to scare us off or what the situation was big steam coming out of his nose and we we just stood then eventually he just he just took off we looked at each other we said holy shit like wow I still remember that story like it was yesterday. I remember the sun was just the – it couldn't have been any more perfect. Unfortunately, we didn't get to shooting because my mate was freaking the hell out. But just that part alone, him freaking out the way he did it and then seeing this fallow deer. just It was a good-sized deer too, big head on it. I can't remember exact size now. It was too long ago. But just remember the sun was just – it was just like perfect. It was like Hercules standing in the sun with his chest out. Like That's like what the deer was doing, standing up. It was erect, chest out, big neck on it. Unbelievable. <laughs> Great story. Unbelievable. And I still remember it today. But, uh, mate, what about, you know, like what else can we expect from the rut? I mean, you know, a lot of people are going to be hunting, as you said, southern New South Wales. We've got, you know, even northeastern you know, northeastern Victoria, southeast where all the fires went through there. I have been seeing a lot of people make a few vids on the on the YouTube and stuff, and especially some areas that were uh, burnt out, some state forests as well. And I guess hunters are having a little bit of a heads up because some of these deer seem to be moving back. Back into the area and due to the fact there being not a lot of shrub you know and trees growing back and, and, and thickness around you can pretty much see deer upwards of two three hundred meters through some of these burnout spots so is this gonna is this gonna affect them a deer gonna move back into these areas do you think what are they gonna do are they gonna come back is that once the food starts growing on the ground they're gonna come back in or what can we expect from those severely damaged and burnout areas you reckon well look i'm no expert on on fire and all that sort of stuff but well what i what I reckon will happen is that deer, like now any other animal, in terms of they're, they're food driven. So if if the feed's there and and they've got a little bit of cover, the the fallow deer I'm talking about, um, then definitely they'll be moving back into those areas, mate. They'll be trying to fill their bellies with that that um, all that sweet uh, grass that's come up after the fire. So I would expect to see. Um, reasonable numbers in areas where there, there's still a little bit of forest remaining. I suppose that a lot of areas don't have any forest left, but um, those areas that do have a little bit of shelter for them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. What about tips, mate? What about, you know, hunters? I mean, not new hunters, but, you know, people that have experienced, I think, you know, people can le always learn something every year. You know, so what can they do now to sort of, you know, hit that nice, whether it's a meat meat animal, whether it's a good-sized trophy buck, does the angle, you know, sort of change this year than it was last year? What can they do differently? What can they do to become more successful? Well, what I would be doing is, and what I am doing, is, is getting out and scoping out the area looking for new rubs scrapes which they're, they're doing right now they're starting to rub that velvet off um find good ambush sites up high on the edge of the edges of the forest where you can just sit and and quietly glass that area 
what you don't want to be doing is walking around, trudging through forest and just generally setting, setting up the place because you can be assured that there'll be a lot of guys, especially in the public land areas, that's what they'll be doing. But you know what? You can use that to your advantage. Get on those fringe areas where you've got a good lookout up high just of those, uh, the, the forest fringe and get out there, for example, early in the morning. You want to be there probably at least half an hour before sunrise, probably at least half an hour before first light. And that doesn't mean sunrise. That means the first light that you can actually see. Get to that spot. Have it already mapped out. Know where it is. Have your head torch or or a handheld GPS, your phone or whatever, to get to that ambush spot. Sit there and wait and glass and glass and glass more um, because you invariably you will you will see a, see bucks coming in from from feeding with their well they won't be doing a lot of feeding but the does will but they'll be following the does so sit on those those ambush sites up high so that's what you can be doing right now finding out where those those scrapes are the rubs and sort of mapping them out in your mind as to where they are and you, you if you start to build up a picture of a of a, of a place and it's it's sort of a bit like fishing you know the fishermen have all their their good um secret fishing spots well that's well a good buck hunter i reckon has has all of those sort of good little little hidey holes where he knows you know that's where the bucks generally go every year or um that's 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 the honey hole spot and and just just knowing where they are jason and and it's all about building up that sort of mental picture of where where you're going to try and maximise your chances. Now, depending on where you're hunting, you know, we're talking about private land and public land, like passing up bucks. I mean, do you ever get on private land? How does that how does that differ, you reckon? Because I know we'll talk about this before the show. Uh, I mean, sometimes you you may only have an opportunity to see that buck once on public land maybe you might see it twice depends on you know how thick the forest is if it's open area or it's pine uh, and passing yeah. an animal up because i guess on private land they might move around does that weigh on your decision and how is that different between the both because you might have access to private where you know you might see that you know that buck on a regular basis throughout the rut maybe you don't shoot it this year but how does that how does that change and do you ever do you ever pass them up and say well i might shoot that one next year if he's around or absolutely well i i I say that all the time, um, and I pass up bucks all the time. But bearing in mind, I've I've shot a lot of bucks, so I, you know, um, so my sort of the prism that I'm looking through is going to be different to the to the new guy that's that's sort of just started out in hunting and sees his first buck. Now, what I what I would say to that guy is, if you see a a, a nice buck and you want to shoot it, well, shoot it, but Next time you go out, um, try and upgrade that model. So, in other words, if you see another buck but he's equal to or smaller than what you've already got on your wall, you know, maybe pass it up. And if you if you want want to shoot something for me, maybe maybe shoot a, a doe. Um, but by passing up bucks that you've you've kind of um, you know you, you've already shot kind of that size or um before then you, you you are allowing it to hopefully grow into something bigger so like if everybody did that then there'd probably be a lot 
lot more bucks around. But um, look, I, I'm not going to um, sit here in in judgment and criticise someone for for shooting a small buck because I, I've done it myself. Um, it's just that I've I've shot enough bucks now to, to be able to go. Yeah, look, I, I'm interested in trying to um, upgrade each time. So that's that's just my philosophy, and it just comes down to you know the individual. I'm not sure if I've said on your Instagram. Do you have many of them taxidermied at home? Um, well, I've actually got the the, the one big buck uh, taxidermied on my wall. Um, yeah, he's on my Instagram, and he's all. I've also got the um, the shot that I took uh, me taking, you know, actually shooting the, shooting him. Um, the filming of that was done by uh, my mate Grizzly Hunting, and that was a that was an interesting. Hunt in itself, I think we shot. I shot that fella in. Um, it was either July or August, well outside the bar, outside the rut. And what had happened was um, we we gone into this gully, and all of a sudden we see this friggin. He was a he was a good buck. He's a monster. Um, huge wide antlers, and he was with a mob of does. So clearly, what had happened there is some some does were obviously in in estrus. And hadn't been serviced during the rut, and and a, he he was um, he's obviously rounding him up and and um, trying to service him. Anyway, he <laughs> he he took off when he when he saw us. So the game was up there, but we we decided to return a couple of days later and just sit him out and see if he came out of the forest. And and sure enough, he did, and um, came out with his with his does and managed to set up a shot and. Um, I think it was about 200 and 200 odd meters and yeah squeezed off a shot and got him and yeah i mean that was that was a really good team team effort with my hunting partner and i where we just you know sat on a hill and, and waited for him to come out if you know it was a gamble he might not have come out i mean quite often that those gambles don't pay off which is why they call it hunting right not shooting <laughs> how do you yeah. how do you decide when you're with your mate? Like, is it he shot one, you shot one, or rock paper scissors? Who gets to take the big one? Yeah, that's that's how we decide. Well, we decide, you know, based on you know, we take it in turns. He shoots one, I shoot one. This year, the deal is that if if we see a a, a good red stag, it's his. So yeah, that's 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 how we make that decision. It's already pre preemptively decided. You yeah, know what? It's, I don't it's with that, but that's that's how that's what mates do. Yeah, no, it's it's just good to see the different species moving around too. My mate lives on the like out past Picton, like fairway out past Picton. He's got a quite a, quite a, a large block out there, and um, you know he's starting to see good numbers of uh, samba moving. And I'm not sure how long they've been there. Well, that's just normal, but you know you never sort of really heard, heard you know, a lot of stories about that. But now I'm starting to. He goes, oh yeah, we ended up making about forty kilos worth of. Um, you know, sausages out of the bastard. So, you know, he's just running in, driving home from work. <laughs> he's, he's, he's it's standing in his driveway and, you know, he, it, it runs down the side and you know, along, the, along the fence and goes and gets the gun. It's still there and bang, done. So it's good to see numbers, you know, really popping up. And, yeah, you know, in, it's amazing in, that they're popping up. I mean, last year I remember seeing in the local paper there was a, a Samba stag running through suburban Emu Plains, a photo of it in the in the paper wow like where the hell do they come from but clearly they're just moving through 
Yeah, good to see there. Hopefully they start making, you know, the numbers start, you know, government doesn't want that, the numbers to start picking up, obviously, but it's good for us in regards to hunting opportunities and seeing the species. I mean, Red's even, you know, moving in as well and moving their way down. And, you know, because I thought, you know, I thought a lot of the Reds were mainly, you know, Queensland, but, you know, I guess they're moving in or have been moving in for quite a while too, so. Yeah, well, on on the block that I hunt, it's interesting the, um, the the owner of the property, he hadn't seen any deer on his property, or they hadn't. He he reckons there hadn't been deer in that kind of general small locality for for years and years. And then gradually, some reds started appearing, and then next minute, some fallow started appearing, and and now it's just you know that's just the norm. So yeah, they're they're expanding, which is great for us. Yeah, not good for the farmers or the government, but good for us. We want more hunting opportunities. When did, there's a lot of conjecture about when the fallow rut actually begins, like Australia. Um, you know, what triggers it? When is it normally? Hopefully, it's on the. I think I think the Easter long weekend's pr- pretty early on this year in April. So hopefully, my weekend hunting trip will be around that time. Well, if you read the some of the scientific li- literature that's that's around on on deer generally and and even down to the different species, most of what what the scientists and experts agree on that that the 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 main trigger is the the is the, the shortening of the daylight hours, which which produces a hormone called melatonin in part of the 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 doe's brain, to and and that then triggers estrus. So predominantly, the the this this um, shortening of the days uh, and the increase in this this hormone bringing on estrus is that's that's the main thing that dictates the the like the rutting activity. But it also um, the lessening of daylight creates an increase in the testosterone in the in the males. So you know while some some guys will say oh you know the cold days will really um, bring it on well. Um, what what I think that does cut the colder days is see croaking the croaking of a fallow buck that takes a, a shitload of energy right so you can imagine on a cold a cool day that well obviously they they're able to croak for longer but in a, a stinking hot day you're just going you know what fellas I just can't be fucked croaking anymore for the rest of the day because it's too hot um, yeah 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 so I think you know cooler days you know. We, a mate, my mate and I often talk about, you know, it looks like it's going to be a, a cool rut this year, which which is really good, right, because we know that um, the bucks are going to croak longer. So because croaking is part of identifying and finding out where the bucks are, right, that, that, that that's the thing that gives them away in the rut. Um, if they're croaking for longer, well, guess what? You've got longer to, to try and stalk in and find, find where the where the buggers are so um hopefully it will be a nice cool rut because we've had hot ruts in in previous years and um it 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 tends to shorten the amount of time that you you've got to try and target where they are um so get but getting back to a question you asked before about the public land guys if if you're on public land and you you camped in an area i mean Keep your ears open all night if you can for for croaking bucks. And what I would be doing is um, where it's legal is 
if you hear a buck starting to croak in the middle of the night, guess what? I'd be getting out of my sleeping bag, grabbing my gun, putting putting the bullets in my pocket if if again if that's legal, um, and just sort of making my way to that general area and just waiting till first light. That's what I would do. Obviously, with you know bearing in mind the wind and all that sort of stuff, because that's that's how you're going to have your best chance, I reckon. Yeah, exactly. Good point. I guess that might be different. Yeah, I guess we'll talk about probably private land. You could do that. I guess to some degree, if you're unloaded, you can. I presume you could. You know, don't take a word for it, guys. Check with the DPI. Even though you know I'm a, I've hunted a lot on state forest land, I normally get up. Sometimes I probably get up a bit too late. You know, uh, trying to get out there. But you know, getting call them up, guys, to find out what's legal. You're able to walk into a spot unloaded with a firearm at dark. I mean, just give them a call, find out, and. Uh, I might even do it myself tomorrow, actually, and maybe uh, yeah. do a bit of an addition towards this show as well. So we'll find out about yeah. that because that's, that's a very good question because a lot of people do want to get up, you know, before the sun's up. I know we're up before the sun's up and then we start moving into our spots. Like we drive, you might drive to a certain area, then we get out and we walk, you know, a couple of kilometres. And sort of as it's probably, which is the wrong move anyway, as the sort of <laughs> sun's coming up, we're starting to make our way into the into the, into those areas. But, yeah, you've got to be in those areas, true, before, you know, you, you've got to get the one up on them. If you don't, if they get the up on you, uh, yeah, you basically probably got Buckley's and under shooting them unless they haven't been shot at or they're a bit silly. Yeah. Get sorry, getting back to your question of what causes the rut, it's like the literature. If it if you if you get on Google and and type in you know what causes the fallow rut, you see a heap of hits on scientific papers on on deer generally, and 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 most of the consensus is it's that caused by the the lessening of those daylight hours and the producing that melatonin. But getting back to the the rut itself, so guys will hear croaking and you know early on sort of mid-march and go oh the rut started it's an early rut well no i I don't believe that's the case what i think is happening is that see those bucks will start croaking about three weeks up to about three weeks before the actual when when they actually breed which is what i call the rut right when they actually breed with a doe is that's that's rutting behavior right um but a buck buck can can start croaking up to you know three weeks before the rut in fact um i saw a post the other day of a domesticated buck that apparently he croaks all year round uh, <laughs> hey you know what i was just about to ask you that do that i mean i presume it's either well that's actually a good question i mean why do they make noise is it territorial is it to let yeah let the does know hey i'm in heat too let's get it on well again there's there's been there's been a lot of well there's been a few scientific studies about what it is about croaking why you know wh- what's the the what's the evolutionary function of fallow buck croaks because i you know mate I, science aside i just find that noise it, it, it it's there's something primeval about it it they're like it's puts the hairs on the, my back and the, my neck on end when I hear it. And it's just yeah. like, wow, there's something <laughs> really cool about that. Yeah. But um, getting back to the point, some scientists have actually studied, you know, what what is the what is the function of, of fallow buck croaks and indeed, you know, uh, red red roars. And they've postulated that that those the fallow bucks croaking conveys information to does about the buck's fitness and its social dominance. And 
and it can also convey information to competing males. Like, for example, you know, is, is that is that Mike Tyson's gully that I'm just about to walk into? Um, is is it is it going to you know punch the shit out of me, and I, I I could die if I if I go in there? Um, that's the sort of thing that um this scientific study kind of um has deals with. You can you can look it up. Um, I forget the link, but maybe we can put that up later. But they studied the the, the low frequency of the, of the calls and how that might indicate a larger and more dominant and more dominant sort of buck. Um, so, it, I mean, when I've heard bucks croaking, I, I actually I'll be honest with you, I've sometimes heard spikers, and I've off in the distance, and I've I've stalked in on them, thinking, "Wow, this this thing's a bloody monster," and then being so disappointed when I see this <laughs> piddling thing croaking away like it's some <laughs> monster. So clearly, there there's a thing where where does can hear hear shit at a frequency that that humans or at least me can't hear because um, it's a, they've, yeah they've, they've studied this stuff and I think it's fascinating that um, you know all, there's all this other shit going on that that we we just don't we just don't understand it yet. But what I have noticed is um, you know we talk about um, the, the the low frequency sounds and all of that that. That a good good buck makes to try and um, a get get all you know females interested in him and b maybe scare off scare off potential um, younger bucks or, or less dominant bucks, but also anecdotally um, you might have heard about sort of um, uh, raffling and you know raffling you get where you get an old pair of antlers and um, you try and rattle in a buck now. I know plenty of guys that reckon that um, rattling will just work most of the time on sort of like your younger bucks, where because the and the theory being that older bucks during the rut will they've already they've already dominated they've already got their their girls they're not interested in sort of why would you why would you bother um, running off away from your girls if if you've already got them right where but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so. So rattling often will attract those those so what they call satellite bucks, the guys that are sort of lurking around in the background, hoping that the you know the big guy might just slip up and they're in for a bit of an opportunity with the girls. Um, <laughs> yeah, those sort of bucks you might have a chance with. Look, of course, there might be exceptions to that rule where you go, well, I rattle up this frigging monster. What the hell's Craig talking about? Again. There's exceptions to every rule, and I'm not so, even saying this is a rule because I don't. I actually do a lot of rattling because I haven't had a lot of success with it. But I know a lot of guys do have a lot of success. I, I have had success. I've had. I've been. I've, I've rattled up sort of smaller bucks with it, but I've never been able to rattle up a big, a big guy, a real big monster with it. Um, but that leads me. Sorry, I've just. This just made me think of another thing. If you, if you're out in the field and you you see a smaller buck, if you can. If, if you're going to avoid the temptation to just pull a hammer there and then, even if you're on public land, if you see a smaller buck and there's does, almost certainly there's going to be a bigger boy somewhere, very close by. He's, he's going to be there. It's just that you haven't seen him yet. Just wait because if they haven't seen you, you've got, you know, you, you're already a step ahead. You just wait there 
and and almost certainly there will be a bigger boy somewhere. Lurking. So what does that mean? The old the old beta bucks just hanging around trying to get some. Well, he's I don't, I don't to, want to say second, so to speak. It doesn't sound very good. But what he's trying to maybe pick up something <laughs> around the edges, is he? Or <laughs> yeah, he's just trying. That's right. He's trying to pick up some action around the edges. He's a, he's a, he's a little sat, satellite buck, and and that that always happens. There will be those satellite bucks just hanging around. Um, yeah, trying to get some action. But the big boy, he will be there. Don't worry about that. He'll be there. I promise you. I've never actually seen him. I don't know if you probably you have. I've never actually seen him like a like fighting. You know, sometimes I might see him in. I don't know. Might be. Then again, I, I guess I have seen him in winter as well. Would have been about June. Would have been last year. Was it last year? No, year before that. And I saw. I think it was two of them. There was a, a decent side, but nothing crazy against public land. Uh, then there was a little spike with it as well, with the with the bigger one. And then there was, I think, I'm not sure if the third one was a male, but uh, it looked like a small doe. But, you know, two two bucks and a small – it might have been a third buck. I don't know. It didn't have any antlers. Didn't, I couldn't see that far, to be honest with you. But it might have been a doe or it might have just been a small – you know, eventually a small just male male fellow. So, you know, it's interesting when even then, sometimes they're hanging out together. Sometimes they're not. Like, when do they get aggressive? I've never I've never seen them fighting, eh? I mean, how, have you ever had the opportunity to see, like, a couple of, couple of bucks going at it? Yeah, I, I have. Um, I have seen them fighting, and 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 they are they are vicious. Um, they could actually kill each other. Um, wow. that, that's why they've got that. They say they've got those guard tines at the back because it's postulated by look guys I spoke to in the ADA and other places that when they as they get older, when they they've sort of reached their you know their peak and they're they're sort of going down the other way of of old age and um, and all that. And their heads start to sort of go back. One of the first things they lose is that what they call that, um, you know, that guard tine at the back, which is the literally the the tine that sticks out facing reverse. Which is when their heads are when they're locked in together um, fighting. Um, it's it's said that that guard tine, as the name suggests, protects the skull, the back of the skull, from getting one of those big tines on the top of the antler from spiking down in, in, into its spine. Um, so, yeah, um, I have seen them fighting. Um, I, I've only witnessed the, the younger ones fight. I've never seen, um, you know, big boys, big boys at it um, live. But I have I have heard some, some what sounded like, um, well, they were definitely fellow bucks fighting, um, but I, I've not been close enough to witness the, you know, the, a big dominant, two big dominant bucks going at it. And I, I, I'd truly love to see that because it'd be be phenomenal. Yeah, it'd be some bloody great video footage if you got it on camera. I've just, yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen them going at it. And uh, I reckon it'd be definitely be a sight to see. Just, just the fact that even... You know, they even just lose their antlers every year and and grow them back. It just it blows your mind, doesn't it? How some some bony substance can drop off and then it just grows back again. It gets covered in the velvet, then they scratch it off, and then you know they got their chests out with their big necks and all that. And it's just it's just a bloody amazing, isn't it? Really. Well, well, what's amazing too is that that, that nature seems to have timed the the falling off of the antlers with roughly. Um, give or take a couple of weeks, the the dropping of the fawns. So, you know, the fallow um, does gestation period is is around about two hundred and thirty days. 
So if it's it's joined around about seventh or eighth of April, that that takes it out out to around about the twenty third of November where they're dropping the fawns. Now the fallow bucks they'll be dropping their their antlers sort of October ish, through to through to November. So they're dropping fawns just after you know the antlers have been dropped. Now I don't don't know if that's coincidence or not, but I just think that's that's interesting. How long, even though they're in velvet, how long does it take to grow a full good size set? How long does it normally take? Do you know, do you know that info? Well, well yes, because so as soon as they drop um, their antlers in October, they're, they're growing back straight away. So they're growing right through till sort of now. They're in, they're in. They would have hardened up. Their their, their antlers probably would have hardened um, in the probably the last week. So. What's what's the date today? Um, the recording of this well, show is fifteenth of uh, February. Yeah, we're recording on the fifteenth of February. Probably that um, sort of around about that first week in February. They're they're fully hardened. They'll still have um, velvet, um, and they're starting to strip right now. They're starting to rub that velvet off, and some of them. I've I've spoken to, to to guys like I don't know if you follow um, Hainsey in South Australia. Um, he's a good fellow hunter. He he told me that um, about fifty fifty about fifty percent of the bucks down there had had already stripped. That that was in the first week of, of February. Yeah, um, wow. So it's really really fascinating, like you say, how the how the antlers grow and the you know that the 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 velvet they they strip off that velvet in sort of early February and then they're sort of their necks are starting to swell sort of from now onwards and um, you know it won't be long bef- before you you'll start to hear the odd croak in the in the forest. Yeah, it's crazy, great animal. I mean, when you sort of get to know them and you know you get out. I never thought even years ago I thought uh, this doesn't really interest me. I preferred my fox hunting and and bird hunting or ducks when i had the, when i get the opportunity we're going to do i can only do that once a year on the river arena but i just love it i just whenever since i've started doing it there's nothing like being out there in that little cold snap and with your friends and you know you're walking down through areas and it's quiet and then all of a sudden you see that deer and it's just nothing like what what is it why do you love hunting fallow so much why not reds why not samba why not that little piddly little hog deer that runs around down there on Stewart Island or wherever they hunt them. Why, why do you like fallow so much? Oh, look, I, I love all deer. Um, I suppose for me, um, I started out on fallow uh, when I was about 19 down uh, around the, the Goulburn area. And, um, and, and from that very first moment, I saw a fallow buck just up on the side of a hill who's just black as the ace of spades, this, the colour of him, jet, just jet black, huge neck on him. The antlers look back then they looked enormous, probably. Um, but that's you know, the, as the passage of time goes on, I think my memory kind of might be exaggerating the size of his antlers. But he just looked <laughs> friggin' majestic up there on the side of the hill. And again, that was another moment where I just got complete and utter buck fever, shot off the shoulder, and he just took off into the in on his merry way into the forest, and that. That'll just live for me with the rest of my life, that that kind of image. And I think just the mystery of them. You know, I've heard other hunters sort of s- to talk lowly of them and s- say, oh, you know, fallow, that's, fallow hunting, that's just like hunting goats. 
no disrespect to goat hunting either because <laughs> goat hunting would be good fun too. But, um, I, you know, I think that's a little bit unfair because, um, you know, fallow, fallow hunting, depending on where you're hunting them, especially the guys that go to, the, you know, the uh, public land and even where I go, getting a big buck is is quite a quite a um quite a challenge it you know i didn't get my first big buck what i consider big um until i turned what 50 and i've been hunting them since the age of 19 so um you know it's it's they're a mysterious animal they some of them disappear a lot of them just disappear into the forest god knows where after the rut's over, this is like somebody flicks a switch and you go, far out, where'd they go? Well, what happened? Um, I mean, I'd like to bring up one of my other ones. Like, I got my first buck, if you can call it that, you know what I mean? It was basically pretty ordinary genetics, but I was just happy to, you know, to, to get one, you know, after many, many years of trying. You know, yeah, you run a show, you get certainly get offers from people, and, you know, I do really appreciate that. I've had some great opportunities through people I've met from the show, but I just wanted to get it myself. And then, you know, the second one that I got, I don't think I'm going to beat that any time, you know, on public land any time in the near future, put it that way. And then the third one I got was okay. It was a nice, really light, sandy-coloured fellow. Very fat, very a oh, lot of fat on this one. Um, it's on my Instagram. I, I sort of yeah, cold it, yeah, cut it back and just went to get the back straps. And I thought, shit, this is a fat little bastard. You know, um, it was just it was just great. I've got all three heads. You know, I've got the first. It almost worked out perfectly because it's weird that they all seem to be male. The ones that I shot first that I had the opportunity to shoot. So I got the the average first one was probably below our way below average. Then the really good second one, and then the third. one one, which is better than the first one put it that way and i've got them in my house and i've got them one two and three and i look back and it's almost good because the big one sits in the middle because he was the second one i got and just amazing and one thing i got here correct me if i'm wrong i just wrote it down on my little notepad here while we're talking you love the big if i recall correctly from our last show i didn't listen to our previous show but you love the big dark thick chocolate fellows do you is that correct oh i i do but in saying that um you know the 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 big ones that I've, the big ones that I've shot have all been that sort of um, grey spotted sort of they call it a mental colour. Yeah. Um, that's not to say I don't like them either. I just I just love the look of those real dark black black ones, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's weird, isn't it? My mate, like, we we went to a state forest one time and he was just driving back to camp to meet the boys up for lunch or whatever it was, being out for five or six hours. And he goes, you know, he he looked like a ghost. And I said, well, what's happened? And he goes, mate, you're not going to believe it. I said, what's that? And he goes, I think I saw a white one. And I go, was it really? And he goes, yeah, 100%. He was driving back with his mate. It's it's run out on the road. And he goes, mate, there was not a mark on it. He goes, I thought it was a goat at first, but it was big. You know, and I said, does it have antlers? He goes, oh, hell yeah. And then he goes, then we went around the other side side to come back around and it must have made its way through the bush and he goes well, as we went around it popped out on the road again so we had a good second look at it again and he goes mate i, I want to get that one i really want to get that one i said shit a white one that, that'd be amazing i reckon yeah I, i'd like to shoot a, a good white one i've seen um there's there's a few few white ones getting around on on the block i hunt but none of them have got you know massive heads um you know i've, I've photographed quite a few sort of small sort of spiker or sort of first second year heads and hopefully they'll they'll get big enough to shoot but the problem is you know being white mate (laughs) 
they're like what they call, um, you know, a Judas buck. Everybody can see them. <laughs> yeah, like, like that white goat, you know, when he's in a mob of about 20 goats and they're all like Blenheim, black or gray, whatever colours they are, you, you, get, you get that white yeah. one. It's like, yeah. oh, you just start glassing a hill and they sort of just stand out like dog's balls, don't they, you know what I mean? Yeah, but again, like, you know, that that, that can work to your advantage too. Like if, if there might be a pure white spiker in, in a mob, um, that can be if they're a long way away. That can it makes it easier for you to kind of find them, if that makes sense. You got know, this Judas kind of bucks in amongst a, a mob of other does that are blending or or deer blending in the side of a hill, and you got this blazing white sort of animal. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm looking at you. I was just going through your uh, Instagram. Then I can see I think a little bit up the top there. You got some white ones. It looks like they were caught on the caught on the game trail. Yeah. On the on the trail camera and i've also filmed some as well just offhand yeah yeah i'm just looking at and i'm looking at this one looks like it's bloody honking at the uh the trail cam <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah i think that one's having a bit of a croak from memory hey last couple of couple of questions i've got when do you think they what age do you think they hit their peak like that's when you really want to get them like what age do they say you know fully mature not you know on their way down so to speak you know like getting into their older age when are they at that yeah that peak of good genetics and what age is it well it like it depends on their feed and obviously genetics and all of that um all of those factors come into play um but at out in the wild, sort of a rough figure would be around about the six, seven, eight-year-old buck. Um, but obviously, you know, some of those – I've seen some enormous farm deer, right, in, in pens that are only – on their second head, they're enormous, absolutely enormous, which it just shows that how much difference sort of good feed and good genetics can, can make to the, to the size of the head. But I – I always say, you know, around about the five, six, seven, eight, maybe around the six, six, seven, eight kind of range. And after that, they'll start to go back. Yeah, man, they certainly are a wonderful creature, aren't they? They really are. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at your Instagram and I'm jealous, man. I'm going to have to request the exact GPS coordinates of a lot of these bucks, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just... Over the, the profit you made from Bitcoin, and you can, you, can have, you can have those GPS coordinates. No problem at all. Oh, imagine owning like some of these, just some of this land, just with you know, you got good amounts. Of, uh, just what a dream, wouldn't it? If you just own you know, oh, a lot of this land, you know, be, like you know, you could manage it properly. You could, you know, look after the species, but you know, and knock a few here and there, and build up some genetics, possibly if you, you know, depending on what how big the land was or. But man, some of these chocolate ones, I do. I must admit, I am a little bit, um, yeah, warming to those dark chocolate colours. I mean, they do, and when they're big, they're really nice, aren't they? Like I was a bit not like that before. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I like the, the sandy colour, the lighter ones, the sandy coloured yep. ones. But now yep. I'm seeing more on your page, and I've seen it before anyway. But just now that I'm looking at them, I thought, geez, they are nice. The big, dark chocolate yeah. fellows. They're big boys. Some of these ones, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. That that one I think that you're looking at was it. Was a big boy. Look, he wouldn't score well because the other ant- one of his antlers has got a few um, points where he, um, I think he's got a bit of a cleft on the other side. But you know what? Um, he's in my eyes. He's still a still a really nice head. You know, like um, 
still well worth putting on your wall. Um, the story of that, that one is, you know, we were umming and ahhing about whether to shoot him and then some bloody ruse um, spooked, spooked him and him, him and his mate took off and we never saw him again. Um, and we still talk about that guy. Uh, oh, I should have shot you know, Why didn't we shoot him earlier? You know? And that's the other thing too. Bloody bruise. See, guys that hunt in, in New Zealand, I think your podcast goes everywhere, doesn't it, really? Um, guys in New Zealand, they don't have that problem that we do with roos. And the problem is where roos are feeding is, is usually where fallow want to feed too because that's where the good tucker is. So you, whenever you're planning a hunt, you, you've got to plan around what the roo's going to be doing because that, that's that's the bush alarm signal. But that, that, the deer look to where, what the roo's are doing, if, and if the roo's are fucking off back into the bush, guess what? The deer, are, they're, they're off. They're, they're going to go. They're not going to wait to look around to see what's going on. If the, if the roo's fuck off, the deer are going to fuck off. So if you're going to be anywhere waiting, you need to be there before the roo's get there. So you're going to do any ambush, like, say, in the afternoon, so if you if sunsets around about sort of the five thirty six o'clock at night during the run, I'm not actually sure. I haven't looked it up what time it is. You want to be there, set, sitting down and ready by no later than about three o'clock because you want to be there before the roos move out and start feeding. Because once what the what the, the fallow do, they look to they actually look at the roos. If the if the roos look like they're nice and settled and feeding, they'll come out. Gives them comfort. So they look like the old, um, you know, the duck hunters put out those decoys for the for the ducks to feel comfortable to fly in. Well, roos roos are like your, your your decoys for 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 want of a better word. Yeah, you ever seen? Oh, hey, I've seen it. Uh, you ever seen two different deer species hanging out together? I've not seen it, but I've 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 heard lots of guys talking about it. In fact, the block that I hunt on. Um, a guy who's got the adjacent block said he saw a samba stag with a fallow doe, and he knows he's deer. So I, I just think that's really weird, eh? Mm. <laughs> I'll tell you a, a quick oh, one. I was at this at this place, sitting there waiting. Anyway, to my left, I didn't know they were going to come out there, but they came out to my left about eighty meters, and I, I was sort of sitting down, and the weeds were a little bit higher, maybe you know chest height or something. I just had my head above the weeds. And then I look to the left, and as you would, you see, you just naturally see a, a, a chocolate fallow. And I thought, oh, it's a chocolate fallow. Okay. So I, yeah, ready to put some my sort of knee up so I could use my knee on my elbow as a, as a spot to go so I'd get a good solid rest on the rifle. Started to aim up, and something caught my eye. And I looked left, and there was like a little spike, a little fallow spike. Good size, though. Deep, like, still mature. Pretty ordinary genetics, but, you know, pretty, pretty mature. And I went, holy shit. I said, all right, well, this spotted one's a little bit bigger. I might go for that one, and then this one's probably going to run off, right? So anyway, I, you know, pulled the hammer down on that on that uh, small small buck, and then bang, hit it. I went, oh, good. And anyway, I turned to the other one. It ran around, and literally almost probably, if I'm facing ahead at 12 o'clock, it came to my 10 o'clock position, so it couldn't have been any better. It literally turned on a dime, aimed, looking right. I don't know if it was looking right at me. I think you could see me. Bang, I just plugged the second one, walked down there. One was a Samba, and, and the one I shot right next to it was a fellow buck. Is that right? 
Yeah, wow. and they were definitely together because I they came out of this game trail, and then the first one came out, and I looked at it. Oh, and I, I could just see the back of him. I thought, oh, he's a, he's a little bit small male female. I couldn't, you know, again, it's all happening so quick. I can't tell what's happening. But all I know is thought it was a, a fellow, um, either doe or a dark chocolate one. But I could just see the top of its back, and then as it moved around, I could see it just a little bit. I'm going, all right, cool. I'm, I'm going to wait until it clears those weeds. It's moving that way, and then I'll I'll have a go at it, you know. And then all of a sudden, something caught my eye. Bang. The other one's popped out. They're probably three, four, five metres away from each other. Holy, I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing, you know. Bang, plug that one. The other one runs just, you know, probably 30 metres, turns on a dime. <laughs> the shot couldn't have been any better. Bang, plugged it, you know, fed the whole, fed, you know, none of the boys got anything for that trip. So fed the whole crew and my mate said the sand, but it was like nothing he's ever tasted. He said it was fantastic. It was only a small one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was fantastic, dude. It was fantastic. And I talk to people a lot, and they go, yeah, I've seen it, but it's pretty rare. And I said, well, okay, well, I've got, I've got photos of them. So, you know, you can, yeah, well enough proof, you know. And he goes, oh, no, I don't, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. And I said, just amazing to see that. And I said, you know what? I wouldn't have known that, Craig, if I had of, if that one, yeah. hadn't, if that one hadn't have turned on the dime and gave me an opportunity to get two of them. Well then, yeah, I, w- yeah. I wouldn't have got that one. I would have shot the fallow nev- and never knew, and I would have been going back to the boys saying, "Oh, mate, I saw a chocolate fallow and a and a, and, a, and and obviously this 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 one that I shot, thinking they were yeah, both yeah. fallow, but nah, they weren't me." Because when I walked up, you know, you know, it's got the hairy chin, the weird ass ears. I'm like, "Damn, man, that's no fallow, man. That's a samba." Well, as soon as I, mate, as soon as about five meters away, I knew it was a samba straight away. Wow, that, that's amazing. I know the guys on the south coast often uh, see samba with with rooster, and you. And apparently they're actually able to breed into what they they call a, a rhubarb, um, you know, crossbreed between the two. I, I'm not sure that um, samba can breed with fallow though, but by the sounds of it, samba and fallow will hang together, crazy. which is quite it's crazy. You know, good yeah. to see though. I mean, you know, it gives us you know, I guess it gives us more. You know, <laughs> if you want to shoot a samba one day, you can. If you if you want to shoot a fellow, yeah. you can. If they're hanging out together, just like I've seen them hanging out when they're out in like the plains opening. You know, sorry, feeding on you know out in the open, feeding on you know grasses and stuff. But I've seen them, you know, like with roos a couple of meters away, cows three to four meters away, no problem at all. I thought, well, I thought, wouldn't the cows sort of spook them? But I guess not. If the cows have got their heads down eating, maybe they don't feel spooked too. If the as you said before, if the ruse have got their heads down and they're feeding, mate, the the deer are just happy to go in between them and mix in and you know enjoy yeah, yeah. The, enjoy the smorgasbord of grasses too. I've I've not heard of um, or seen or have um, had reported uh, fallow and reds hanging together. I, I, I've never seen that on on the place I hunt, but I do know that fallow and reds will use the same kind of scrapes for one of a better word or you know there's the what these marking posts to to mark their preorbital glands because i've i know that because i've picked them up on my trail cameras pho- photographing the reds and fallow going to these same spots and having a good sniff and, and a bit of a, a rub rub around so i thought that was that's an interesting bit of intel i picked up from the from the trail cameras Mm, very good. Mate, finish off. What do we – I mean, obviously, you know, again, I've never found much of a difference in – maybe you have in, in taste, you know, between some of the bigger boys and the smaller stuff. Not necessarily. I mean, I think I gave my mate that most of that Samba as a, as a thanks for just helping me out in the past and, you know, help the boys out. But 
you know, you find it much. What are you making with them? I've seen on one of your pictures here on Instagram, you've got your your mincer, and I just I just got a big ass mincer too, man. Like I just spent about seven hundred bucks on a mincer about four or five months ago, and I haven't used it yet. I'm just waiting to crank it out. I mean, this thing apparently is just going to destroy sinew. It's just going to eat meat up, so I can't wait to get it get it done. So what are you making? I see sausages here. Oh, sausages. Um, mate of mine's got a a, a humidity controlled. Um, salami fridge so we've done done a few salamis at times yeah uh, different, just different recipes and oh man they're great for sort of you know giving away to friends and stuff because you can just go oh, i shot that and um i don't know it's really cool to be able to give away meat that you've harvested yourself i reckon um so uh backstrap oh, my favorite's the backstrap i think that's probably one of everybody's favorite eh? like that back that that back muscle that muscle along the back of the backbone there and cut it up into steaks and fry it oh my goodness and have a good nice rich dark sauce with it bloody hell mm. doesn't much better than that I know I've got some I've got some uh, sausage flavorings coming in the mail I think this week so I'm hoping to be able to do that as soon as possible man and get them and hopefully get something this year and uh, you know. Sh- Put put this uh, big mincer to good use, man. Just you know, hoe through the food. I had one of those crappy little Kenwoods before. Did the job, but you know, I think this this bloody new one I got it's like two horsepower, so it's just going to be a mean machine. Oh, it sounds sounds like a beast. Just on that subject though, of you know, venison and converting your your stuff into into food. A lot of guys say that oh, they won't they won't eat um, bucks or stags that have been shot in the rut or the raw. Well, I think that's an awful waste of meat because. I actually don't think it makes a huge amount of difference to the flavour. Yes, there is a there's a slight difference. It's a slightly stronger taste, but not perceptible enough to go. Geez, I'm just going to leave all that beautiful meat on the ground to rot. It's just, it's literally you, you know, you, you're wasting so much good meat, so much really beautiful, delicious meat if you if you're not actually harvesting what what you shoot. And don't be put off. Just, just I know they do stink during the rut, but that's just the outside of their skin, right? That's just where they piss all over themselves and <laughs> and all those bloody awful. If only we knew that was the the option to lure in women just pissing on ourselves, you know, we'd be. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what we knew we had to do to to bring in women, wouldn't that be so much better than what we have to do now? But uh... <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but even, even I say to people too, like I've I've fed my mate sausages. Oh, they love them. Like basically, I, I can't remember what I ordered now, but I've got a herb and garlic coming. I think I've got a Spanish chorizo. I think I've got a, um, a Texas Texas chili one coming, a nice flavouring as well. Um, there's a I think it's Mexican jalapeno I've got coming as well. And if you're not sure, just t- I tell people to put it in sausages. You know, mince them up, go to your butcher. You know, yeah. buy buy a couple of kilos. It depends how much you're going to make of um, pork shoulder fat. You know, call in advance, see if he can do it. And mate, I just minced that through the pork fat. You know, and yeah. and the, and the fellow with the the mixtures in with the water, cold water. Jeez, mate, they're freaking delicious, man. I don't know what people are complaining about. You go over to the boys' place. You you can chuck yeah, them yeah. in an air fryer. You can chuck them on the barbecue. You can chuck them in the smoker. You can chuck them on a roll with some sauce, mate. Bob's your uncle. What what percentage fat do you use, Jase? I'm normally about twenty percent. I think that's about a good, you know, good. So basically, I think it's about one one point two kilos per five of meat. So four kilos meat, one kilo, um, 
you know, fat, so right. generally do that. So, yeah, basically if you've got 10 kilos to, you know, maybe one and a half to two kilos of fat per eight kilos of meat to make so 10 kilos. I'm feeling like a really unhealthy fat bastard now because I use about 30% fat. Oh, yeah, they must, geez, they must be real <laughs> nice on the barbecue and the fat. Just, oh, delicious, man. I don't know what people yeah. complain about. My only disappointment is when I'm, <laughs> I'm trying some of these new flavourings. I normally tell the boys, listen, I haven't done it before, and I had one that was like a – I don't know, it was like a Thai Malay one or something. And I'm like, Ugh. We, we made like 10 kilos and we're like, yeah, this is not that great. Or I made the South African Bordervorce for the guys. Like, I love that one. They're beautiful. Yeah, I saw the picture of that. Look, that looked really yummy. Yeah, my mates aren't fussed on it. Though. They go, oh, you can have that one. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. They love the Spanish chorizo, but I guess we're going to try a few new ones this year. But if you are trying it, I tell guys, you know, get a little side mixture of just, you know, a couple of hundred grams or something, throw a bit of fat in it, you know, mix up a bit of the flavouring in there, chuck it on the pan, see if you like it before you waste it in 10 kilos. Like, you'd rather waste, you know, $10 in flavouring than, you know, 10 kilos if you're sort of not going to eat it. But, I mean, there's really ones that you like, ones that you go, maybe they're not as good. But, yeah, I love the herb and garlic. You've got the Bordevorce one, Spanish chorizo, Mexican chorizo. Um, I'm going to try the Texas chili one this year. We'll see how that goes. Um, Speaking of shoving your, the, the mince onto the pan, it's just reminded me you can make some really bloody delicious burger patties. And I remember years ago, um, and some of your listeners probably remember um, the great late uh, Ken Latham down there at Mansfield Hunting Safaris. Um, the guy used to be, he, he ran a, um, a, a beautiful hut down there at Mansfield where it was sort of like. Um, You'd go there and you sort of cook for yourself and all that sort of stuff, but Ken provided the hut. And I think it's still down. I think the guys still operate it. And um, Ken would take you up into the up into the mountains there around Mansfield and then sort of drop you off into a gully system to hunt for Samba. And then um, that would be real early in the morning. By midday, you'd sort of get back down low and Ken would be there with a, with a, you know, a fire going and, and a barbecue hot plate, and, and invariably, you know, be samba bloody patties on on buns and a beer, and oh my god, it was oh, so yeah. nice, delicious. I love taking it out. Like we'll probably go out. I got a couple of trips coming up for you, rabbit hunting trips, and then hopefully a few deer hunting trips towards, you know, that April period, and you know, take yep. it down. They've got like a little stand, and I bring the basket with me, like the little you know fish basket, but you know, put the big spirals in there, bang into the. Into onto the steel tray, like the holder that holds the basket, and you've got different levels for heat, and you know, mate, turn them up. So, oh, mate, the boys love it. And you know what the ingredient is, guys? I've got to give it away. Two things: add some. Uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but the Kewpie mayonnaise, the Japanese Kewpie mayonnaise, oh, delicious. And if you want, use about say a quarter of the Kewpie mayonnaise, then get the sriracha sauce. There's only one sriracha sauce you need to buy. It's the main one, the pop- most popular one. Uh, and squirt, you know, like a quarter of that into your into your QP mayonnaise. Like take the lid off, squirt a quarter in there, and then just mix it up. You can sort of mix it through with your hands because it's only like a plastic mayonnaise container. You can just mould it with your hands and you mix it together. Oh, dude, on these sausages. 
Really? Yeah, holy crap, dude. Yeah, good. I've got guys going, mate, is there any more? Is there any more? And get, where's that, mate? Where's that chili mayo? I said, yeah, give it back here, you bastards, you know? <laughs> well, I'm a huge fan of sriracha sauce. I've always got a stock of that, but I'm not sure about this cupy mayo. You have to tell me where to get oh, it. Oh, mate, just go to Woolworths. You'll see it. I'll even send you a picture on your text well, after the show. Mate, mix well. it up. If you like the chili, you know, if you, you know, because sometimes that, you know, if you use a bit much of the um, sriracha sauce, you know, yeah. some people think it's a bit too hot. So if you want to use a little bit, bit of it just squirt it in and the cupid it's sort of got a malleable you know sort of plastic so you can just mix it in your hand push it around and oh yeah. mate boys are like where you go someone's got to bring bloody like a 600 gram because the bastards just want to keep eating it on me Jeez, you're talking it up, big fella. Are you getting a commission from this, from this mayo? No, place? I wish, man. I wish. But make sure you've you, you got to get the one. As everyone, most people know this, but a lot of people don't. You go to the Chinese stores and they're all trying to copy the proper sriracha sauce. Make sure it's got the yeah. rooster. It's got to have the rooster there. Yeah. Uh, I hate to say this term on here, but the, the it's either called rooster sauce, a.k.a. cock sauce. So, <laughs> so make sure you buy some of the rooster sauce, which is the sriracha. Beautiful, mate. Yeah. And, and a bit of the um, – or you score if you don't want You don't want to mix it, just squirt a bit on, a bit of, bit of sriracha on top. But you've got to have the rooster on the front of it with the green lid because a lot of them try to you know, defraud with the, the green lid, but they've got like a dragon or a, something else and then you go, nah, this is, does everyone, because I remember I bought it years ago and I bought the wrong one. I go, oh, what's everyone, this saying this is shit, I don't like it. Um, but then mm-hmm. I bought the right one. I'm going, oh, delicious, love this one. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. So, I think you can actually get the, you know, um, Ali is selling that uh, copy of the Big Mac sauce now. Yes, we use that too. Yeah, the old burger sauce. Yeah, Big Mac yeah, burger yeah. sauce. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, my mate's always bringing that. He's, he's worse than me. We we actually call him the Condiment King. So that's his that's his name when we go out. I say, mate, he's got barbecue sauce. He's got garlic aioli, mayo, sriracha. He's got the Master Foods chili sauce. He's got <laughs> shit, man. Tomato sauce. I go, geez, how many sauces do you need when you're out? And he goes, oh, you've got to always be, be prepared. So <laughs> nice. Anyway, anyway, mate, anything yeah. to finish off, man? Any sort of final thoughts or anything like that? Um. I just remember, uh, I'll finish it off with a, a very quick story about um, uh, my, 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 current, well, my hunting buddy's first buck that I got him onto. Well, when I say I got him onto, he, he actually spotted it, but I, <laughs> I put him in the area, put it that way. So it was, it was, a, it was a rut coming back a few years ago, and, and I, I knew there was a buck in this area. I heard him croaking the day before my mate got down there, and, um, so I, I, I actually promised him, I said, mate, we're going to get you a buck this afternoon. I promise you. <laughs> um, anyway, we, we stalked into this, this, um, this very big gully system and sort of got in there and waited and waited and fucking hell, I don't know what, what happened to this buck, but he didn't, he didn't materialize. So, uh, it was getting quite, quite almost sort of dark. And then my mate, and we, we turned around, we're going back to the car. And my mate goes, Oh, it's fucking, here comes a buck. I'm going, Where? He goes, Up there. So he's pointed up the hill, and sure enough, about oh, 300 metres away, here's this buck literally trotting down the hill towards us. Did you not? And, um, oh, gosh, yeah, it was good spotting because I, I wasn't sort of expecting it, I guess. And, um, yeah, anyway, so he came within probably, I don't know, within, 
well, between 50 and 100 metres, probably about a 60 or 70 metre shot, I'd say, off off his shoulder, dropped it. And, mate, you know, he, he wasn't a massive buck, but it was his first buck, and I just felt so overjoyed for him. You know, just the, you know, the back slapping and um, I, I felt like it was almost my first buck, put it that way, mm. just the, the yeah. joy that that caused. And I say to guys that are going out there and, um, maybe going out in their their first fallow hunt, enjoy it, guys. You'll because if you if you are successful, you you know you'll never forget your first buck. It doesn't matter how big it is or how how small it is. You'll never forget it. It'll stay stick with you for your life. And um and and I tell you, once you shoot one, you you'll be addicted. You'll be a nut. And you'll. That, that that will drive you <laughs> for the rest of your life, I promise you. So get out there and enjoy it. Totally agree. All right, another great show talking about fallow hunting. So, Craig, hopefully we get to do it again. I really enjoyed that. It's always a great time of the year to start talking about that pending rut and getting out there and hunting deer. So uh, if you want to check him out, you can check him. I'm scrolling up. You can check him out at fallow underscore fanatic on instagram if you want to check out his great videos here a um, lot of different pictures a lot of great looking fellows some red deer pigs you know it. he's got it up on his instagram uh check it out so craig thanks for your time i really appreciate it hopefully again we're going to be able to catch up soon mate it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, good luck in the upcoming rut to you and all your listeners you've been listening to an episode of the australian hunting podcast i hope you enjoyed it see you next time 